is Bloomberg Surveillance. Overall, what we see is a slow-growth world where the fast-growth markets are not growing as fast as they used to. I look at the banks, and sometimes it's hard to differentiate between a great large-cap versus a great small-cap bank on the financial side. I don't want to sit here and say we have a crystal ball and we know where the price of oil is going in the future. We just don't know. I mean, it can't fall forever, but we just don't know where it's going to go. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street, 8 p.m. in Shanghai, where the world's most important finance ministers and central bankers will gather this weekend to discuss the global economy and the fear that grips investors these days. That fear back in evidence this morning. European shares lower the stock 600 by almost eight points, 2.3 percent. The DAX is down 240 points right now, two and a half percent. Here in the U.S., S&P futures off 16, nine-tenths, nine-tenths for Dow futures. They're down 144. NASDAQ e-mini futures are off 51.2 percent, a lot of red on the screen. Fear is back in the bond markets with yield sliding. Ten-year note yield 1.69 percent, 73 basis points. Your two-year, the German two-year, negative 54 basis points. And the action really in the currency markets where the dollar index is up four-tenths today. Look at this yen price, 111.78. The euro, 109.65. And Brexit fears driving the pound ever lower. Breaks through 140, 138. 89 at the moment. But if you are hoping, if you are trading on the idea that G20 will act this weekend to save you and the world, you are wrong. That is the message from U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew in this remarkable and exclusive interview with our David Weston. I'm hopeful that this will be a G20 where we take the commitment that we got uh, in, in, in the last meetings uh, to, for countries to refrain from competitive devaluation and push it a little bit and, and have that be something that, uh, that is heard uh, outside of the meeting room, but to reassure the world that that, that is a commitment taken seriously well, by the, the 20 largest economies. What can we hope to see in the communique coming out of these meetings? that goes beyond that? Or is it a matter of taking the last communique and marking it well, up? I think what's different is um, these last uh, months have made clear that the weakness in demand globally is a problem uh, that can't be solved just by everyone looking to the United States. I've been telling uh, my counterparts for a couple of years now, I think we're doing pretty well. They think we're doing pretty well. But you can't count on the United States providing all the demand for the world. We can't be the consumer first and last resort. There needs to be more. And what does that mean? It means that in, in countries that have big economies, regions that have big economies, they need to use policy tools. So, you know, when China looks at what can it do, it has to look at how does it stimulate consumer demand. When Europe looks at its tools, it looks beyond monetary policy, but it asks what can it do with fiscal policy as well. And in a country like Japan, where, you know, there's been two decades now of slow or negative growth, um, they're careful not to make the mistake of, of stopping the economy with fiscal policies that put the brakes on, but instead use fiscal policy to drive things forward. Fiscal policy can't solve all the problems. There are structural issues that need to be addressed. Uh, some, in some countries it's regulatory, some countries it's labor markets, in some countries it's financial reform. Those structural issues need to be addressed. But fiscal and monetary policy are important tools. When used together, they're powerful. And that, that's the message we bring. That, combined with sharing information about exchange rates, having a clear understanding 
that it is unacceptable to target exchange rates to gain unfair advantage outside of your country. That's a beggar thy neighbor strategy. That's just is a question of who gets more of the existing pie. It doesn't grow the pie. Um, and I think that as I talk to my counterparts, they understand that, that is, they want to be clear that that's not a direction that we, the world community, can go in. I'm hoping that this G20 reinforces that. You know, there's a lot of speculation in the world that, that, that uh, the, these conversations could lead to uh, different kinds of decisions on that. So underscoring that, um, that that is an important principle, I think, is pretty important. So in your answer, you started actually with global demand. And we hear economists talk about this yeah. and business leaders say yeah. the problem we have to some extent is really a demand problem at this point. What could be done? Do you hope this communique or the agreement coming out of G20 yeah. actually does have specifics about how global demand could be stimulated? So, you know, I, th I think if you look at these agreements, there are general principles that apply in different countries in different ways. And there is always a lot of discussion about the words because no country wants to sign on to general words that it knows it will be uh, it will be uh, behaving inconsistently with. So getting those principles right, getting a little bit more meat on the bones, makes a difference. I can't get ahead of the process. We're still going back and forth before we even meet on some of these issues. I don't think this is a moment in time when you're going to see individual countries make the kinds of specific commitments that have been made in some other contexts that have been marked by real crisis. This is not a moment of crisis. This is a moment where there, you know, you've got real economies doing better than markets think, you know, in some cases. You have um, a future that could be influenced very much by the kinds of policies that I'm uh, describing. And uh, the idea is how do you avoid having things go to a place that uh, you don't want them to go. That's a different conversation than what do you do when you're in the middle of a full-blown crisis. The only time you see uh, uh, the kinds of communiques with that kind of detail is once you've gotten beyond the, 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 the point. So I'm hopeful that the kind of conversation that uh, I'm describing actually moves the dial. Let me put it this way. If the conversation were to go the other way, and you were to see some reticence to make the commitment to refrain from competitive devaluation and not take a little bit of a step further, that would be a cause of real concern. Because right now, it's a moment in time where if one country were to move in that direction, there's a triggering effect of knock-on policies, and that would be a very bad thing for the global economy. It wouldn't grow the economy for sure, and I think it could lead to, it could lead to very uh, negative uh, 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 ramifications both economically and, and, and geopolitically. So I think this is actually an important yeah. moment, and these kinds of principles uh, really matter. There's no substitute for seeing uh, your counterparts face-to-face -face and talking to them. And the world will be watching to some extent. Yeah. Particularly markets will be watching. Yeah. Economic actors will be watching. Investors will be watching. Are you concerned that expectations may be too high about what the G20 can deliver as a practical matter when it comes to growth? Well, obviously, my response in a bit is sending a clear message. Don't, uh, don't expect a crisis response in a non-crisis environment. Um, you know, it's not the job of finance ministers and central bank governors to accelerate a crisis. It's our job to try and avoid a crisis. If you're in a crisis, you do different things. Obviously, the meetings after the financial crisis during the recession had a different character to them. Um, you know, I have, in my conversations with counterparts, uh, gotten a strong sense that there is serious attention being given 
to how to address the issues that we're discussing. And I think together, by having this kind of conversation, we can lead to better outcomes. Does that mean that coming out of this, you'll have point estimates of what each country is going to do and how? You rarely get that out of uh, a meeting like this. So I think that would not be the kind of expectation to have. But I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to have the expectations that coming out of this will be a more stable uh, understanding of what the future may look like. And that, and that, is, um, that is an important thing. Because uh, you, you look at uh, the world's reaction to the policymaking in China over the last uh, two months, really the last six months, since August, um, it's underscored how communication of policy is critically important uh, in order to have the market and other counterparts around the world know what you intend and what you can be expected to do. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not just a, a problem, a challenge in China. It's obviously a problem uh, as, as, as each of us uh, undertakes policies, and these meetings are a chance to, to work through some of those issues. U.S. Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, uh, very, Tom, forthcoming, forthright, candid yeah. uh, interview in which he basically tells David Weston, if you are in the markets and you think that there's going to be some sort of coordinated effort to save you, not going to happen. Yeah, I, I thought it was very pre-G20. It was way above average in terms of always the Lou candor that was there. But but it, I thought it was assertive. And when you link that into the challenges that Chair Yellen has, looking at a better-than-good U.S. economy, look at Lowe's earnings this morning like Home Depot's uh, yesterday. I, I, I really think it's something anybody on Global Wall Street has to pay attention to, even with markets responding uh, this morning with their collective deterioration. Indeed. And um, at this point, uh, you wonder how markets are going to go from where they're going to go from here, knowing there's no safety net underneath. Right. Well, that's what we have. Let me do a data check here. First, though, folks, this morning, Bloomberg Surveillance brought you by Invesco. Invesco believes it's time to bench the benchmarks to consider active management and factor-based strategies. Find out more. At Invesco.com slash high conviction. Futures out to weakness this morning, the negative 16. Dow futures, negative 145. Uh, too much to talk about across assets. Oil down a dollar nine cents, thirty dollars seventy-five cents. I'm going to call that indeterminate in the middle on oil. We had a record 10-year low in Germany, 0.131 earlier this morning. Right now, 0.135, positive 0.135 on the German 10 years. Michael McKee mentioned the yen stronger, 111.79 right now in the U.K., uh, the pound sterling, rather, 138.90 means Charles Dumas can't travel here anytime uh, soon. So we'll uh, give you more data checks through our morning. This hour of surveillance brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit VolvoCarsWhitePlains.com. Here is John Tucker with the latest news headlines. Uh, Michael and Tom, Donald Trump's dominating victory in the Nevada caucuses pushes him further out ahead of his nearest competitors for the Republican presidential nomination, giving his unorthodox candidacy a major boost heading into Super Tuesday contest next week. Hillary Clinton doesn't just want to beat Bernie Sanders in South Carolina. She wants to beat expectations. She's running more than 20 points ahead of Sanders in most polls, hold heading into Saturday's Democratic presidential primary, buoyed by overwhelming support from the state's black voters. And Uber Technologies, starting its very first motorcycle taxi service in Bangkok, where perennial congestion leads to rush hour traffic speeds in the Thailand capital of just about 6.8 miles an hour. 
Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists in more than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm John Tucker. Mike and Tom. Uh, John Tucker, thanks so much. Uh, on this day of tumult, Diana Choileva with us with Lombard Street Research, and we will speak to her next on Markets on the Move. Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by your Tri-State BMW centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com. At BMW, they make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine.